night. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus 14. I mentioned this last week, but if you do not have a Bible and would like one of your own, there are some on the shelf in the back, and you are welcome to grab one of those and have it as a gift on your, your, way, your way out today. Um, Exodus 14, it is good to be back in Exodus uh, to return to this study. And so I want to start this way, though. Hey, kids, if you'll go ahead and pay close attention, there's a video on the screen that's going to maybe give you a glimpse of what we're going to look at in Scripture. So turn your attention to the screens. God makes a way. Moses and God's people escaped out of Egypt and into the wilderness. They didn't know the way, but God knew the way and he would show them. I will bring you to a new home, a special land, God promised them. I will look after you. I am with you. God sent a big cloud for them to follow, a pillar of smoke stretching up into the sky. It moved in front of them as they walked and shaded them from the blazing heat of the day. And when it was time to rest, it stopped. All through the cold desert nights, it kept them warm, glowing like a fire. God led his people through the desert to the edge of a great sea. They were just wondering how to cross it when suddenly they heard a terrible thundering and pounding. It sounded almost like horses' hooves. They shaded their eyes to look back and screamed. It was! Pharaoh and his army were coming to get them. Pharaoh had changed his mind again. Get my slaves back! He screeched and charged out into the desert after them with 600 of his fastest horsemen and every single chariot in Egypt. What were God's people going to do? In front of them there was a big sea. It was so big. There was no way round it, but there was no way through it. It was too deep, and they didn't have any boats, so they couldn't sail across, and they couldn't swim across because it was too far, and they would drown, and they couldn't turn back because Pharaoh was chasing them. They could see the flashing swords now, glinting in the baking sun, and the dust clouds and chariot after scary chariot surging towards them, so they did the only thing that there was left to do. Panic! We're going to die, they shrieked. Don't be afraid, Moses said. But there's nothing we can do, they screamed. God knows you can't do anything, Moses said. God will do it for you. Trust him and watch. But there's no way out, they cried. God will make a way, Moses said. Another minute and it would have been over. But then the strangest thing happened. God made the pillar of smoke move. It moved behind his people and hid them from the Egyptians. Then God sent a strong east wind to blow all night long. It blew on the water of the big sea. It blew it to the left and it blew it to the right until it blew it into two towering walls of water. And there, right through the middle of the sea, a muddy pathway opened up and God's people walked across on dry land. 
when the Egyptians tried to follow, the walls of water crashed back down on them and swallowed them up. God's people were safe. They danced and laughed and sang and thanked God. When there had been no way out, God had made a way. Many years later, once again, God was going to make a way where there was no way. From the beginning, God's children had been running from him and hiding. God knew his children could never be happy without him, but they couldn't get back to him by themselves. They were lost. They didn't know the way back. But God knew the way, and one day he would show them. God made a way, didn't he? So good. Uh, I'm so thankful for that uh, for us. And it is. It's a heads up about what we are about to read in the book of Exodus. And certainly truth from God's word. So we have already seen. I'm going to try to remind you a little bit about, uh, because we've been out a couple weeks Uh, that the Israelites, the people of God, have been delivered by blood. If you you consider that through Passover, right? The the blood that was over the doorpost kept them safe. And so Pharaoh, this evil ruler, uh, sends them out. It's like, get get out. I don't want you here anymore. And now they're going to be delivered through water. Sounds like birth, right? We've been talking about that, that this is really the birth of a nation. And so we're, we're still seeing that very thing. I want to draw your attention just briefly to something, though, that maybe, maybe specifically as we think about our African-American brothers and sisters, uh, the more we see this story of deliverance from slavery, the more I'm reminded of our own history as a nation. This is the book that the wrongfully enslaved men and women, boys and girls, particularly and most prominently here in the South, they, they were clinging to the truths in this book. So often they were, they were crying out to God, imagining the day that they might be set free from their Pharaoh. This is why women like Harriet Tubman, uh, she was nicknamed Moses, right? Because she kept going back to, to bring them out of slavery. Don't you, don't you see how even in times like this, we could read scripture and find application for different areas in our life in which we need to be reminded, not of our circumstances, but of God's faithfulness. You see, this, this isn't just a story for back then. It is a, a truth for today. So I, I want to say this to you as we come to this climatic crossing of the Red Sea. Whether you are black or white or brown or any other color, God is faithful. He is faithful. And while we may not any longer be in this slavery or wrongfully treated, I want you to hear this. Jesus is with you and is offering to set you free. From a life of sin and death. That is the offering. If the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. We haven't even like started and I'm excited. Right? 
it is, it is important to see that, that prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, which we have just celebrated, like uh, we celebrate it every week, but we've been really intentional the last couple weeks, maybe even over the top in a, in a good way, that prior to that, followers of God would have pointed to this event. Does that make sense? So, so prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, those who would say, I'm following the Lord, following God, they would have pointed back to Exodus 14. They would have pointed back to the delivery, to the crossing of the Red Sea. Like, if you look throughout Scripture, you would see those kinds of points. In fact, I, I thought of one in particular, Psalm 77. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. It's specifically pointing back to this crossing. So with that in mind, let's, let's go to chapter 14 and see the, the miraculous move of God. We want to see God throughout this. And particularly, as we start, we want to see the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty, the, the rule and reign, power, majesty, the, um, the royalty of God. God, his sovereign hand. So look at these first few verses. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Harioth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. Those are tough ones. Uh, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Interesting enough, just as Greg pointed out just a little while ago, we see even God's sovereign hand, even over an evil ruler. But first, I want us to follow the people's path. Those two places that I said were kind of hard to say, those, those names that are difficult. I want you to, to follow the path. There should be a map on the screen. I think we were able to get that. That is somewhat difficult to see, but we, this is the best one we could find. So, and I've got a little pointer, and it might not show up very well. But do you see this arrow right here? So this is where they were leaving from. So that's, that's them leaving uh, Egypt, and they're going to follow that path. And they're going to come right way down here to cross the Red Sea. So this is where we're at right now. You see this is the, the name that was hard to say, right? So this is where they are. So, just so you can kind of picture in your head. I want you to stay on that for just a second. Ernest pointed this out when he preached just a, a few weeks ago. The people went in a direction that was only needed because God wanted them to go that way. Right? Arguably. Did you notice that on that map, it, it seems like if they're going that way, why wouldn't they have just gone straight across? Some of you math teachers in the room, right? The hypotenuse of a triangle, like the shortest distance is a straight line. Why are we, why are we going down to the Red Sea at all? Right, so he was, he was taking them through something on purpose 
to show his might through them. Ever thought of that? He was, he was literally not just responding to their difficult situation. He was actually placing them in between a rock and a hard place. Well, maybe not a rock and a hard place, maybe a river and an army, right? He, he's, he's not just responding to the fact that they've put themselves there. He's, they, were, they were guided by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, right? So they're going wherever they're told to go, and then they're in the difficulty. Have you ever thought that God, that he's not just responding to your difficulty, that it's possible that he is in fact placing you in that, the, the middle of that difficulty so that you might rely on him instead of yourself. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought that maybe he placed you where you are so that others might see Jesus in you? Maybe it's that you're not stuck between a, a river and an army. But maybe it's your rock in a hard place. Maybe it feels like ev everything's crushing in. It's getting tighter and tighter and tighter and, and you don't know which way to go. If you, if you take this step, you're going to drown or sink. If you take this step, you're going to be crushed by the enemy. And, and maybe it is that you are in that very moment, that very situation, that precise circumstance so that God could bring you to trust in him. Because sometimes we just like to fix it ourselves. But also notice that this path was not just out of the way, but have you ever considered that the Israelites might have needed some water along the way? Right? We're going to learn more about that in the weeks to come. But it's as if the thing that appeared to be an obstacle for the people of God was actually the perfect rescue plan. The very thing that stood in their way was also the thing they needed. Now, I don't want to try to make every circumstance that you're in all of a sudden become the Red Sea. What I am suggesting is that Scripture displays God's track record to show His sovereignty through every step of your life. So, whatever it is that you're going through, hear this. The Lord is in control. He's not lost it. He didn't lose control. He didn't relinquish control. He's sovereign. He is all authority. And this is seen through the people's path, through the way in which they go, but it's also seen, as has already been mentioned, Pharaoh's purpose, right? This is, this is shown to us in Pharaoh's purpose. Look again at verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Notice, notice again the reason for Pharaoh's hard heart. It's, it's really 
two reasons. One, that God will get glory. And two, so that the Egyptians will know who God is. Right? This is the audience participation part of the service when I say right. Okay. So, so let's try that again. So the two reasons are for the glory of God and so that the Egyptians will know who God is. Right? Okay, so, so here's what's happening. So God is doing this work, which seems like a really difficult work, which seems like something that would be negative. He's hardening Pharaoh's heart so that he'll get glory and so that the Egyptians will know who he is. Demonstrating once again that what is happening is so that other people will know who he is. Pharaoh's sin was intended to show others who God is. And at the same time, our relationship with Christ is intended to show who God is. I, I couldn't agree more with, with Greg's comments that how much more then, right? If, if, if Pharaoh in the wrong was intended to point people to Christ, how much more then should those of us who actually know Christ, shouldn't our lives point people to him all the more, right? Not, not just uh, kind of behind, like behind us, but actually be on our forethought, be in our, the front of our mind. You exist so that other people would know who God is, right? Like as a follower of Christ, that's your purpose, to bring glory to God, to make his name known. Maybe a, a question for you is, is, when was the last time you shared your faith? When was the last time you shared the, the, the gospel, the good news, that salvation is, is made available? I'm not, I'm not asking you to raise your hand and tell the time yet. Uh, but what I am asking you to do is consider that. Maybe even as you're taking notes, think, when was the last time I, I told someone about the salvation offered through Jesus? Was it, was it this last week? Has it been within the last month? Have you shared the gospel in 2023? Right, we just had Easter. Have you shared the gospel since last Easter? taking time to, to point other people to Jesus. We celebrate that he's sovereign. We rejoice that he brings salvation. Sure, we just sing songs. We stand, we lift our hands, we clap, we rejoice, and we come here week after week after week. But do we want other people with us in that? Or are we satisfied with it being just like it is? Are we satisfied that nobody else knows? Do you, do you have somebody in your mind right now that you want to know Jesus? And maybe that's a place to start. Is there somebody you know that doesn't know Jesus? And you can think of their name right now. You know, I told you a couple weeks ago that we would be having these three Sunday nights of, in a row of prayer and worship. And sometimes when you hear there's a night of prayer, you think, I don't have to come. And I want you to hear, we need you here as the collective body of believers that we would in, 
like plead with God together. So tonight is the first one of those nights of prayer. It's, it's the time we will gather together, and it's a focus on the Great Commission. And specifically, we're going to have a time where the, all those names that just popped in your head, we're going to have a time where we pray by name for people that don't know Jesus. We're going to ask you to be praying for people that you know that don't know Jesus, that, that God would rescue them. We're going to pray for missionaries. We're going to pray for other nations and those kind of things. We have some special guests who will be joining with us in other parts of the night that I'm looking forward to. But I'm, in, I'm encouraging you to adjust your regular Sunday evening schedule if needed and to be back tonight for this important time together as a church family. Kids, you can pray. We invite you to be back here for that time as well. Maybe you have friends at school and you want to be you're thinking about their names. You want, you want to be praying for your classmates, your teammates. Right? Are you, are you praying for the lost? Okay. We, we can see the sovereignty of God through this passage already. But now let us also see the salvation of God. See the salvation of God. Look at verse 5 and following. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this that we have done? We have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Israel with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army overtook them and, and them encamped at the sea by Piharoth in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. The people of Israel cried out to the Lord. In fact, they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we, have, what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. It, it happened just as the Lord had said it would, right? The first few verses, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and he's going to pursue the Israelites. Then in the next few verses, it says that the Lord did harden his heart, and that Pharaoh did, in fact, pursue them, just as it was said. The Israelites do what the Israelites do. In fact, what we all seem to do far too often. They didn't like what was happening, so they complained about it. Right? 
Why wouldn't you just leave us there? We could still be alive. Now we're about to be taken over. They're, they're panicking. We're either going to drown or we're going to be slaughtered because we're not an army. It doesn't matter how many of us there are. We don't have weapons. We don't have a military background. We're just going to lose. And Moses speaks back to the people. And he, he essentially says a couple different things. One is that the Lord will work. Look again at verse 13. In fact, I would encourage you to, to underline these, these things. It says, Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. Maybe underline those, those three phrases. Which he will work for you today. Maybe circle those three. He will work. He will work. So many of us are trying to do the work ourselves. What if, what if your part of working is actually not found in working, but in waiting? Listen again to those, those three commands. Fear not. Stand firm. See salvation. Guess, guess how much you get to brag or boast if, if you did the work. If you were the one who parted the Red Sea. If you were the one who defeated the Egyptian army, then you get to boast about it, or at least you get to think you do, right? But no one can boast about salvation that's brought from the Lord. That should sound familiar, right? It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, right? The work of salvation in Exodus is not their work. And the work of salvation in our lives is not our work. It is the gift of God. And yet how often do you try, do we try to work our way to salvation? We try to like earn it. We in generally generally speaking, are bad at resting. And some of you are thinking, no, I'm pretty good at taking naps. Some of you are terrible at that too, right? But this is, this is, this is not talking about naps or sleeping through the night, but actually resting. Resting is trusting in the work that the Lord has done and the work he will do. Fear not. It doesn't include, it does not include working. Command, this, this command, fear not. See, you keep tr frantically trying to fix something that you cannot fix anyway. Because you are wondering if God is actually concerned at all. Does he actually care? I mean, 
Maybe, maybe you've even said this, I'm going to worry about it because someone's got to. If I don't worry about it, then not even God cares about it. And he says, fear not. He says, stand firm. That doesn't include working. You keep running around, dizzying yourself, chasing your own tail because you are unwilling to simply stand still. I mean, God really needs me to handle this problem for those people. Ever get caught in that? Where you assume that, that everything won't happen or won't work if you stop existing? Stand firm. See salvation. That doesn't include working either. You're, you're trying to bring something about that you are not in charge of. And so even if it does happen, you will miss watching the miracle that's in front of you because you're too busy to see what happened right before your eyes. Rest. 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 How many of us need to hear that? Rest. The Lord will work. And the Lord will fight. Look at verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Have you ever had a coach in sports tell you something like, uh, hey, let your game speak for itself? Something like that. Uh, in sports, sometimes the athlete thinks that they have to talk trash or to rub it in somebody's face uh, when, when they make the shot or hit the home run or score the touchdown or whatever it is. And sometimes it's better to just let your game speak for itself, right? Keep your mouth shut. Act like you've, won, act like you've ever won a game or made a shot. You shouldn't look like you're surprised that the ball went in the goal. That was the point, right? So when you act like it's the greatest deal ever, then guess what? Then we're like, oh, you're shocked. I guess, I guess this is new for you. No, 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 like just let your game speak for itself. You know, like sometimes in the same way, just let the Lord's actions speak for themselves. Like let, let, let that speak. Instead of, instead of you trying to, to brag about yourself, you don't have anything to brag about anyway. I don't have anything to brag about anyway. We have only to celebrate what God has done. He's the one that, that this miraculous two walls of water happen. Just let the Lord's actions speak. The Lord will fight. A battle that even if you tried to fight, you wouldn't be able to win. See the salvation of the Lord and see the strength of of God. Look at, look at verses 15 and following. 
coming to the part, right? Here it is. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Now, let me pause right there. Do you remember behind them at this point is the army? Forward is Red Sea. Like, uh, not to be confused, this is like not a small body of water. Okay, even if we, again, we don't have to go back to that, but you go, go to where it was most likely that they were crossing. This was a, uh, again, too deep for them to, too, too fast for them to try to swim across. They didn't, it was too deep for them. This isn't just like, hey, like this would have been a miracle. For walls of water to come up mean that it is a deep, heavy, flowing water source. Got it? Everybody understand what I'm saying? This is, this is miraculous here. So let's make sure. So, so what, what he says is go forward. And if you're looking forward, all you're seeing is Red Sea. But he says, lift up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And when I will get glory, and, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen, then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went before them, behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming by, between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. It happened. Church, it happened. They've crossed the Red Sea. Deliverance has happened. Rescue took place. Catch, catch this. Those of you who may have heard before that they're uh, that they just crossed on a on like a swampy, sloshy, uh, shallow Red Sea. That makes absolutely no sense because it's that same body of water 
that would have completely drowned 600 chariots. That's not a slushy, swampy, shallow bit of water. Like, if you believe part of this, like, well, if you just believe it all, okay? You see what I'm saying? Like, don't, don't try to make up a reason that it might have happened or how it, it's a miracle. That's how miracles work. We can't explain them. It's too big for us. It's too majestic for us. It's too mighty, too powerful. And that's exactly what the Israelites saw. They saw something that was so grand, so marvelous, so wonderful that they say, the great power of the Lord. They're not giving Moses credit for that. Moses' stick is real powerful. No, they're saying Yahweh is powerful. The Lord is powerful. We believe in this God. Remember? Remember all of the, the plagues that we talked about and how plague after plague after plague after plague are, are basically destroying any hope that there was another God. The Israelites have been watching that over and over and over and over again. Then they go into this little doubting spree. They're pouting about things. And is God really going to protect us? Should we, are we going to just be buried out here in the desert? That's not the last time they'll do that, by the way. But when they, when they see a miracle like that, they see salvation. They see rescue. They look back and they don't, they don't say, good job us. They say, what a great God. Why? Because he showed power over all creation. That's not a magic trick. This is the real deal. And so now I want you to fast forward with me to the, the gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want you to, to think about what we see of Jesus in those, those stories, those truths. How do we see Jesus acting? He shows that he has power over creation, doesn't he? When he calms the sea that's in a storm, simply by telling it to stop, peace, be still, storm stops. The, the man who can't walk, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. People that are blind now see. People that are deaf now hear. People that are mute now speak. People with leprosy now cleanse. And one that was at least one, two, right, <laughs> that were dead, come back to life. He has power over creation. This is the same God. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And, and so this Jesus is embodying that same power. That same authority, that same sovereignty. And this power over creation, he additionally has power over hearts. They believed, right? They saw and they believed. 
here's, here's what I'm hoping for today. That you would see and believe. The reality is you have seen the work of God in your life. You might not be giving him the credit he deserves for it, but if you're currently breathing, he's done work in you because he made you. He fashioned you. He's currently keeping your heart beating, your brain functioning, your lungs expanding. He's, he's doing all of that work for you because he has power over you. Which you, when you've seen a storm come and go, when you've seen tornadoes and hurricanes, you've seen them happen, you've, you've seen tsunamis, you've seen blizzards, you've seen all of those things. He's had power over all of that. He's had power over all creation and over all the experiences and circumstances, the path in which our life has taken. He's hardened hearts. He's softened hearts. He's done this work over and over and over again. So see and believe. See the work and believe it. You've heard the richness of God's word, whether it was today or other days. See and believe. I, I wonder if you would see the truth that the perfect creator of the universe made a way not just for the Israelites to cross the Red Sea but he made a way for you to have everlasting salvation through Jesus' death on the cross God made a way he made a way for you in fact Jesus even says I am the way He's offering himself to you. Would you turn from your sin and trust in this Jesus? Like turn away from your, your attempts to try to fix it. Your work. And trust in Jesus. Would you, would you believe in him today? And just, in fact, in just a minute, we're going to stand and sing. And when we do that, uh, there are going to be some right here to my left that that want to talk to you about this very decision. And so I'm wondering if, if that's you today who needs to trust in Jesus. Maybe you would step out into the aisle and walk down this way, just grab their hand and say, I want to trust, I see and I believe. Or help me. The ones that help me in my unbelief. And maybe if you are a child of God. And this, this sermon is a reminder for you to rest. Rest in his sovereignty. See and believe. See. See the miracle. See the work of salvation. See his plan that you can't see all of it. But see how he's worked. See what he's done in the past. Trust what he'll do in the future. See and believe. Our God is ever almighty to save. Would you stand with me as we respond to him?